It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN as uh, on a Friday, always our favorite program of the week. We love them all. They're our kids, but uh, Friday, eh, just a little bit, just a little bit more. We've got a full cast of characters in here once again. Clay Patton's with us, along with Bob Brogan and Brandon Bennett, who is uh, watching uh, tennis very closely, which, yeah. So anyway, we had a deep conversation coming into this, and thank goodness, uh, we can move on to something else now. And Clay Patton is working uh, social media right now, so uh, he's getting ready to I'm go. I'm being a millennial at the moment. I'm doing, wow. yeah, sitting here working my thumbs out. You are. Um, now, the problem is, according to my wife, because I'm male, it's dangerous when I multitask because typically I only get one task done and kind of forget the others while it's all going on. You know, I don't, I, I don't see that there's a problem with that. I think that's, uh, you know, we have limited amount of space that we can work with, and uh, so... We get what well, we are getting one thing done exactly, and we're getting what we need to get done. That's right. That's All right. right. So, what are you getting done for us today? Rundown of today's events at twelve nineteen. Of course, Shaley Peters talking with Al Dutcher. What a wild week of weather it's been. And actually, was just talking with a farmer near Eddyville who. Uh, so we had the big rain Monday night, Tuesday night. He lost three hundred acres of corn to uh, hail. Oh my goodness! To hail. I didn't even know that was. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Wow. So that's hmm. anyway. That's I literally within the last five minutes was just okay. learning about. It. Don't have any more details outside of that, but we'll try to follow up with it as we continue. Twelve forty-five. Then it's Alex Wojcicki. She is talking about UNL journalism on flooding, and she spoke with three of eight UNL journalism students who are spending their summers documenting stories from the state's most widespread natural disaster. So they're focusing more still on the march, but now. So this makes a nice double feature for it. And 117, it's Fridays in the Fields with uh, Tyson Narges out in the Panhandle and Chabella Guzman. They're talking uh, dryland corn, wheat, and prozo millet. Mm, okay. All right. Lots of things to learn we yeah. can learn about today. Thank you very much, Kelly. I appreciate it. We turn it over to Brandon Bennett's and somebody built a tennis court on their lawn. I know. What's Actually playing tennis on grass. Now, where I grew up with, grass was just anything that grew, including the weeds, and you mowed it down, and that was your yard. Right, same, But same. In, the, in the All England Club, they actually have grass shorn enough where you can play tennis on I'll it. Be and it is amazing. In fact, just within the last 30 seconds, Roger Federer has gone up 1-0 over Rafael Nadal, won the first set. They were tied 6-6, went to the tiebreak, and then Federer won that tiebreak 7-3. Hmm. Does that sound like I know what I'm talking about with regards to tennis? Because I have probably, no idea. It's, it's probably, not like when the ball goes in the basket, you get two points or three points or one point, and it's really simple. But tennis has its own unique scoring system. The bottom line is is Nadal is now down to Federer 1-0, so they renew their rivalry, and watching those guys go at it is always a good time. One of those great things about sports, it's going to be a gray day in Denver. Because the Rockies pitcher and the Reds pitcher, so both teams start with R, and both starting pitchers are going to start with the last name of Gray. You have Sonny and John. One of them's an all-star, and we'll talk about more, that more at sports at 1225. All right, very good. We'll look forward to that, even if it is a little dark and gray. So uh, let's turn over to Bob Brogan. Hopefully things are green and financials. Stocks are rising at midday. Major index is moving higher. As gains for technology and industrial stocks are outweighing losses in health care. Those gains came a day after the uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 27,000 points for the first time. President Donald Trump says Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta is saying goodbye following criticism of his handling of a plea deal with a wealthy, with a wealthy financier Jeffrey Epstein. Also, U.S. producer prices rose modestly in June, a sign that inflationary pressures remain subdued. For the 
Those are some of the stories we're following. All right, very good. That's all coming up on Mid. Time to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Joined by Paul Perkins and, uh, boy, I tell you, the Gulf Coast, uh, that... Uh, that tropical storms are really rolling in. It sounds like a storm surge could be a real... Yeah, up to two to six feet worth of storm surge with that system. And, yeah, expecting mm. quite a bit of flooding towards the central Gulf Coast as it uh, tropical storm Barry moves on shore. But in our area, we could see actually some severe weather a little bit later today for parts of western and central areas of Nebraska. Luckily, the good news on the flooding situation, those waters starting to subside across the area. Not as much flood information to get to you. Uh, flood we- flooding expected to continue mainly along the wood Platte and Republican Rivers. Highway 30 now open from Kearney to Shelton. Just a small stretch of Highway 11 is closed to the north of Wood River due to the flooding. The Wood River at Gibbon expected to fall below flood stage by tomorrow afternoon. For the Wood River near Aldem, moderate flooding is now forecast. As opposed to some major flooding, the river will fall below flood stage by late Monday morning near Alda. A flood warning does continue for Thayer County and East Central Knuckles County until 10.15 tomorrow morning. Flooding continues across parts of Thayer and Eastern Knuckles counties, mainly along the Little Blue River. River levels will continue to fall, but minor flooding is still expected. Some locations that will experience some flooding include Hebron, Deschler, and Chester. Otherwise, across our area, it's warming up very quickly across the area. Uh, We do have temperatures mainly in the low and mid-80s, where there's some cloud cover towards Ord and the Broken Bow area, and where we did have some showers and thunderstorms this morning. It's now still into the mid-70s, but otherwise the low and mid-80s for the most part. And then we have some temperatures in the upper 80s to right around 90 over northwest Kansas. And we do have the dew points. Not too bad today. Starting to creep back up there into the low and mid-60s, and that is giving us some heat index readings, mainly still in the low and mid-80s up to 91 on the heat index raining towards the uh, Thetford area in the Nebraska Sandhills. That's kind of odd that you're seeing a little more in the way of heat and humidity towards the uh, Nebraska Sandhills, but we are towards the Thetford area right now. Today will mark the beginning of at least seven days of above normal temperatures as we head into what is typically the warmest time of the year. What timing there, huh? Thunderstorms are possible with the cold front later today and tonight as it drops into northern and western Nebraska. A few of those storms could be severe. The greater risk will be in west-central and north-central Nebraska along and west of a line from O'Neill to Ord, Lexington, and Curtis. Once again, along and west of a line from O'Neill to Ord, Lexington, and Curtis. That's where there is a slight risk of severe storms from the Storm Prediction Center. Widespread or heavy rain not expected. More late day and nighttime thunderstorms will be possible for tomorrow across north west and north central nebraska where that front stalls out a ridge of high pressure expected to expand east from the rockies for sunday through next week that will allow the heat to increase underneath this dome of high pressure and also shield the region from most of our thunderstorm chances any impacts from tropical storm barry including any big increase in humidity will stay to our southeast in the long-term forecast Above normal temperatures will continue for Wednesday through at least July 25th for Nebraska, Kansas, and the eastern two-thirds of the U.S. during the mid to late part of July. Part of the warmest time of the year, once again, central Nebraska daytime highs usually in the upper 80s with average overnight lows in the low to mid-60s. And the long-term outlook now looking drier below normal rainfall is predicted for Wednesday through the 25th for Nebraska and Kansas and much of the nation's midsection. Here comes that July dry weather and heat. 
Key weather factors in the market include the hottest temperatures of the season in the Midwest and drier weather for the wheat harvest in the Southern Plains. Tropical Storm Barry forecast to make landfall in southern Louisiana late tonight or early tomorrow, pushing a two to six foot storm surge. Flooding rain is indicated for the lower delta and will cause crop damage. Barge shipping will be disrupted and Barry has already caused disruption to oil production in the Gulf of Mexico. With the Mississippi River already running high, water levels from reserve to New Orleans, Louisiana could reach their highest level since February of 1950. Early next week, heavy rain could reach as far north as the lower Ohio Valley. Mostly dry weather will prevail across the central and southern plains. Midwest temperatures the hottest thus far of the season, along with mainly drier weather over the next week. Heat index values surpassing 100 in many locations will be stressful to pollinating corn, developing soybeans, and livestock. For the Southern Plains, warm to hot temperatures and little to no rain will favor the wheat harvest over the next week. Row crops will be stressed with some irrigation needed to sustain their crop progress. Well, time to fill that uh, cow tank in the backyard because it's going (laughs) to get hot, isn't it? Yeah, it it could come in handy. Um, And luckily, they're saying a lot of the humidity will stay to our southeast. It's going to actually be pulled away from us because of Tropical Storm Barry. Well, thank you. Thanks, Barry. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) A little less on the air conditioning bill. All right. Thanks so much, Paul. I appreciate it. This weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul, where do you go to check in on your weather? KRVN.com. Over the past 18 years, KRVN, The River, and Cami have given away some pretty incredible vehicles, and this year will be no exception. We're also honoring our Nebraska Strong this summer, so follow us to special Nebraska events, fairs, festivals, and concerts all summer long, and register for your chance to win a brand new 2018 Ram 4x4 pickup. This metallic black truck has a custom Dodge bulge hood. Being Nebraska Strong, we would like to encourage you to continue with relief efforts to our friends, neighbors, and family across the state by making donations through the Nebraska Bankers Association. Helping us bring the Ram to your town is Nebraska Land, Kansas Land, Colorado Land Tire Group, Lexington Regional Health Center, and Cornerstone Bank member FDIC. With 42 locations serving Nebraska, head over to the Fun and Games page at krvn.com to find out when the Ram will be in your area. Register and you could be bringing it home. Time again this week, we visit with our Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist, Al Dutcher. And Al, a pretty darn nice week for most of the state, with the exception of central, south, central Nebraska, receiving uh, large amounts of rainfall earlier in the week, which they are still seeing the effects of. But what can we expect headed into this weekend and next week weather-wise? Well, it does look like we're on a more of a warmer and drier bent as we go forward, and this may at least be a beneficial forecast for those that were impacted by the significant flooding. Um, uh, what can we say? We had widespread anywhere from four inches up to unofficially nine inches with at least a half a dozen of our Nebraska rain network stations showing 24-hour precip totals that were between six and eight inches. So this is an exceptionally wet uh, period for South Central following a wet period the week before. 
So it would be good, fairly good drying weather. We won't have as much of the humidity levels as we will to the east of us due to all the moisture in the atmosphere. But the biggest precipitation chances are really going to occur in the first part of the forecast period. And I would not be surprised to see a few isolated thunderstorms develop during the panhandle this afternoon. And then it looks like the models want to take that and consolidate it into a short wave moving across South Dakota. So the area along the South Dakota-North Nebraska border looks to be the best opportunity for thunderstorm activity during the overnight hours. And some of that carrying on into extreme northeastern Nebraska during the early morning hours hours and into the pre or post daylight hours. Then we turn our attention to right now on Sunday night into Monday, there is a slight risk of some scattered thunderstorm activity in the panhandle, but it looks like a more consolidated chance of precipitation uh, Monday night into Tuesday. They take that system and move it toward the northeast into South Dakota, and then, of course, move it toward the east, and at the same time, bringing a slight cool down to our temperature. So we are going to be in the 90s to upper 90s. Uh, this weekend, particularly in the southwest, will cool down a little bit as we go into Tuesday, about five degrees, and then another system moves across the South Dakota, North, North uh, Nebraska border Tuesday into Wednesday. Uh, that one looks to be a fairly strong complex, and I would caution those in the northern one-third of the state to pay attention because this, the models may bring this a little bit farther south if their fridge doesn't build toward the north and increase precipitation in, in the northern sand hills in northeastern Nebraska. But after that, it basically looks like a fairly dry forecast all the way through approximately the 21st of the month. And then the models want to cool it down that following week. But I will caution you, the models last week were saying the second half of this month would be below normal, and they pushed that out another week. So we are looking at, once we get through the Tuesday time frame, almost a week of fairly dry weather unless we see a radical change in the models. With The, lo- the most likely area to receive precipitation would be the panhandle, and that's due to an increase in the monsoon flow starting to kick in and wrapping around this high-pressure system. So we'll keep that in the back of our minds also is this bridge breaks down or if it does break down into into the foreseeable future we do have a monsoonal flow starting to pick up from the southwest and it's directing it toward the central rockies and that spillover would impact the western one-third of the state for sure and if we do see the trough itself start to develop at the end of the month as the gfs is currently trying to forecast that would entrain that monsoon moisture and we would see some more widespread precipitation but we still have about a 10-day period here where we're going to be dominated for the most part in the southern half of the state by dry weather with the best chances of of seeing moisture across the northern one half of the state. All right, thanks so much. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. One of the things I always remember about growing up this time of year as Brandon Bennett joins us for sports is I remember watching Wimbledon a little bit growing up uh, with uh, Bjorn Borg. Right. The old school wooden rackets. Yes. And and, and, uh, boy, it doesn't look anything like that anymore. The rackets are as big as, you know, two heads. Right. And it's a little different. And they're wearing a different type of polyester. Not the thick spun polyester with the large collars. And the powder blue accents mm-hmm. they were back 40 years ago. That were flammable. As, uh, yeah, yes. Right. Now right. now it's all thin-spun polyester that actually makes you feel cooler while you're out there and allows someone who, like Roger Federer, who has been at the top of his game now, I believe, for 20 years <laughs> and is in the Wimbledon final. And by the way, kudos for you for pronouncing it correctly. 
so many people pronounce it Wimbledon oh, with yes. a T at the end, and it's Wimbledon. I it's know, a this, D this, at the end. You had an issue with this yesterday. You're not letting it go, Brandon. You it's just gotta let it's it go. one of those burrs in the saddle. Right. Pronounce it correctly. It's not the Mosters. It's the Masters. Pronounce it correctly. Let's right. get into the rest let's, of sports. The Nebraska women's basketball team will compete its first non-conference home schedule by taking on the Jaspers of Manhattan University. You can throw the record book out when the Lady Huskers and the Lady Jaspers tussle at the PBA. That's going to happen on Sunday, December 22nd. This is the first Huskers the Huskers' first ever meeting with the mighty Jaspers of Manhattan University. And it will cap Nebraska's 11-game regular season non-conference schedule, which will also include eight home games. The game is part of a two-game home-and-home series, and the Huskers will travel to Manhattan in the 2020-21 year. Next year's meeting in Manhattan will be something of a homecoming for Husker center Kate Kane, who is from Middleton, New York, and played at Pine Bush High School. Why is that important? Because Kate Kane's father, Tim, graduated from Manhattan. Also played basketball there. He's the all-time leading scorer with over 1,800 points and was a two-time All-American for the Manhattan Jaspers. So a little bit of a homecoming for one of the Huskers. Baseball is back after the All-Star break. Kansas City, who has the hometown hero, Bubba Starling, one of four Royals to ever play for a local Kansas City area metro team. Hopefully they'll be able to get out of the cellar. Looking to follow up a strong showing by Sunday starter Jacob Junis. Royals will roll out Danny Duffy tonight and cross our fingers. And I say R because I'm a loyal Royals fan. Detroit has yet to name a starter for the game tonight. The Royals are 14-25 and against AL Central clubs, and the Mighty Tigers have gone 13-22. and As I mentioned earlier, about an hour ago, it will be a gray day for the Rockies and the Reds in Denver as Sonny Gray faces off against John Gray today. Sonny will be taking the mound for the Cincinnati Reds for the first time to Coors Field at his first visit and the first time <laughs> good, since Colorado. Good, Col- luck. Uh, good yeah. luck with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. First time facing Colorado while John is in for the Rockies, selected as an NL John, as an NL All-Star. Sonny Gray will get into the game tonight after Tuesday's All-Star game where the AL beat the NL for the seventh straight time. This time, 4-3. to three. And Novak Djokovic has reached the Wimbledon final for his sixth time. The defending champion came through a tough match against Roberto Bautista Agut in four sets on center court earlier today. Djokovic, of course, a four-time champion at the All-England Club and will play either Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal on Sunday for another title. Currently, we mentioned that uh, the roundtable preview after a long tiebreak, Federer won set 1-7-6. Rafa came back with a storm and beat Roger Federer 6-1 in the second. However, as we currently speak, it's 3-1 in the third. On the women's side, the first-time women's finalist, Simona Halep, stands between the mighty Serena Williams and her 24th Grand Slam championship. Williams has reached Saturday's Wimbledon finals for the 11th time in her illustrious career. and The 37-year-old Williams needed just 59 minutes to move on from her semifinal match. These two have played before. Williams has run has won nine of their ten meetings with Halep, including a victory earlier this year in the Australian Open. And that's the very latest on sports. Uh, thank you so much. Baseball is back. I hate the all-star break in the middle because I lose it for about four or five days. See, I love it because I, it's nice to be able to park baseball, especially by this time of the year when the Royals have, you know, happily Been ensconced eliminated. themselves in the – in the basement, yeah. I got you. I got you. All right, time for us to get caught up on our Caribbean news. And uh, Ellen Laird in here. We had a crash. Oh, no, well, not a crash landing. Thank goodness. 
That's important. Well, yes. So an yes. emergency landing at the Lincoln Airport. Yes. Authorities say an engine fire caused a U.S. Air Force jet to make an emergency landing at Lincoln Airport. The four-engine airborne warning and control system plane touched down around 7.30 p.m. Thursday. Lincoln Fire and Rescue Battalion Chief Dave Engler says the six people on board escaped safely and says the fire was put out within 15 minutes. The Air Force released a statement that said the plane is part of the 50 excuse me, 572nd, 22nd Air Control Wing, excuse me, which is based at Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma City. The fire caused and the damage it caused are being investigated. Several people displaced by the flooding in the Kearney area stayed at an American Red Cross shelter at UNK Centennial Towers West after an initial surge of displaced persons on Tuesday about 280 in all. Associate Dean of Students George Holman says most are finding their way out of the dormitory and back to their lives. About half of them have already made planes and moved on, and uh, a lot of them were staying out at the hotel area and, you know, just needed a place to stay for a couple of days till they could get where they were going. And uh, a lot of them are um, on their way, and then we've been able to connect a lot of other community members with local resources. So it's been great to be able to help the community and, uh, you know, give back to a group that's given to us. Holman says the number of people needing shelter has slowed. You know, it really started to taper off the first night. There's been a few people that uh, are going to stay with us. You know, maybe tonight they were staying with friends but then needed to move on. And then there's been a few people from Gibbon that uh, were also uh, needing some short-term housing. So we've worked with them to get them what they needed as well. Holman says the American Red Cross shelter at UNK will close Monday morning. Authorities in southeastern Nebraska have identified a man they say was killed last week near Fairbury. They have also announced the arrests of five people in the homicide case. The Jefferson County Sheriff's Office said in a news release Thursday that the victim was 28 years old, excuse me, 28-year-old Mark Gerald of Lincoln. His body was found Monday. Officials say he had been shot to death a week earlier at Crystal Springs Park, just southwest of Fairbury. Nearly 20 teams for the Adrian Fiala Memorial Tournament will take the, take to the Gothenburg Golf Course on Saturday, July 13th, each paired up with former Husker players. Monty Kratzenstein of Gothenburg is organizing this annual Gothenburg Teammates event and says it is now a two-day event that is sold-out banquet on Friday. On uh, July 12th, we're going to have a, an event down at the uh, Nebraska Salt and Green Building, downtown Gosford. Coach Osborne is going to come in, and, and Trev Alberts is going to come in, and we're going to uh, highlight the teammates' organization, but we're also just going to tell stories and, and uh, talk a little bit about uh, the old days and how good some of us used to make it. You know, as you get older, you get a lot better. On Saturday, starting at 9 a.m., there will be a meet-and-greet with the former Husker players for the public at the golf course and a 10 a.m. shotgun tee-off. Always a cool event. I've gotten to uh, go just be there for the beginning of it in the past. I don't let me golf at the Wild Horse anymore, but the uh, uh, it's really fun to see the people. And, uh, and, and the interesting thing, Ellen, is all of these great players are all standing there talking, and a little while later, Tom Osborne comes walking up the, the walkway, mm-hmm. and everything goes quiet. That's and cool. It's just, that's just that just gives you goosebumps. It really does. Thank you so much, Ellen. <laughs> Thank you. Introducing 880 KRVN on 98.5 FM in the Grand Island.
Eight students from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's College of Journalism and Mass Communications are documenting stories throughout the summer from the state's most widespread natural disaster. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. Tom Kingston is one of those eight students, and he gives us an overview of what his team is doing. Well, I can speak for the group that I'm working with, and there is eight of us who have been hired through the J School and Extension. And what we are doing is covering, kind of researching all the stories and everybody that's been affected by these floods. And we are, we've pieced together a website, and we're also trying to come up with a documentary, not only to tell the stories of all the people that have been affected, but also what's in store for long term. Kingston, an Omaha native, says these projects not only provide real-life journalism experience, but it's given him a deeper appreciation for Nebraskans. I've appreciated farmers and ranchers, not because I've always, just from what I've heard and seen, that you know they're very tough people, so I can appreciate that. What I've also grown to appreciate is um, how vital they are to not only feeding us, but many different other things. So I'd I've just grown to appreciate farmers and ranchers quite a bit throughout this process and the state of Nebraska because it's kind of amazing to see how um, all these communities that we visited to, like, they really, they're like glue. So if something happens, it's nothing is really going to tear them apart. They will branch together very quickly and solve the issue as best they can. Madison Zump from Friend Nebraska is also on the team, and she's responsible for video production, including a weekly video update. She provides details about the stories her and her team have been covering so far this summer. So at the beginning, um, we went to the summit in Nebraska City, and we learned about different um, crews that have come into the communities to help them. We talked to a FEMA uh, representative um, talking about how she helps um, people who English isn't their native language, helping them bridge that um, gap with paperwork. Um, we talked to, uh, I can't remember the name of her organization, but she helped with um, the kids. So taking care of the kids because sometimes um, you kind of forget and it's all about the parents and helping rebuild everything, but really focusing on the children. Nick McConnell, a UNL sophomore and Lincoln native, serves as the news director for the team of eight. I've done a lot of work finding sources for us and getting interviews scheduled and then conducting those interviews. We, um, you know, we've been talking to a really wide variety of people across the state trying to get unique and different perspective. And so I like to find interviews that I think are going to be kind of interesting and kind of out there and different from what we normally do. McConnell explains how he tries to find different perspectives of those who are still recovering from the flood. We'll start in a town and, you know, we'll call up, like, the village clerk and the kind of people who run the show and be like, hey, who are some people who have been affected in interesting ways? And, like, we've just lined up an interview in Spencer with the person who runs the pool because you don't think about it, but, like, all of the water in a town is effective and they need to find water that is safe for them to be able to swim in. And, you know, that's areas like a pool, things like that are what helps a community rebuild, right? Being able to go someplace like that and like things like recreation we found, um, and this is our managing editor Tim's thing, but he found a uh, golf course, a quail run golf course in Columbus that had been just totally devastated. Um, 11 of their 18 holes had been destroyed and made unusable this summer because of the flooding. And so being able to talk to folks like that, and it's just like, you don't, you don't consider that. You, when you first see the footage 
of a flood hitting an area, you don't consider just how every single aspect of the community is affected. But I think that that's been a really effective way of us being able to tell that story, is finding those little interesting niches and saying, we're going to spend a day on this. Because those are the kind of things that people who are in these communities want people to talk about, and it's the kind of stuff that, that sticks with you. And as for McConnell's biggest learning experience thus far... It was very easy at the beginning to think all of these people have had the exact same experience. But it's it's the diversity of experience. And then again, it's the thing that everybody got touched by this. If you live in Nebraska, really, if you are in the States, somehow you're affected by flooding, whether you realize it top level or not. So, so that's something we've learned a lot. Supervising those three students and five others is Tim Hoffman and Professor Jen Shepard. Hoffman serves as the managing editor for Floodfeed Media, helping build a website and Twitter page where the students are sharing their work. You know, I grew up on a farm, and I kind of came with this perspective of like, well, if we tried to interview my dad, my dad wouldn't say anything. You know, I, I kind of came in thinking that these farmers aren't going to tell us anything. And they've been great about it. I mean, honestly, once, once they kind of find out we're from Nebraska and, you know, we try to make that personal connection, you know, early on in the day, so that way they trust us. And it's great to see the people of Nebraska kind of come together. And it's, it's funny because no one admits they had it the worst. It's always, oh, they had it worse up in Pierce. And, and Pierce, it's, oh, they, all, they had it worse up in Spencer. You know, But I think that just shows the resiliency of Nebraska and how they continue to help people. And they're always looking out for another. Hoffman added that his team of students are showcasing much more than physical damage from the flooding. Everywhere we go, we understand that the need is still there and it might not be physical labor but a lot of places we go talk about emotional help and you know just to check in on people to make sure they're still doing okay because you know this was a life-changing event for a lot of people and that doesn't heal in a month and so I think that's kind of our goal here at Fluffy Media and trying to bring those stories to light. Nebraska Extension has helped the students find stories in towns like Norfolk, Fullerton, Shadron, Fremont, and Valley. You can find their work on Twitter at Floodfeed Media, or you can visit PrairieStormClouds.org. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. All right, let's get a check on the stock market, see what's going on in financials right now. As we look overseas, the Japanese Nikkei was down 42. The the Hang Seng in Hong Kong was, excuse me, the Nikkei was up 42. The Hang Seng up 39. The FTSE in London down just three. And the German DAX index was down eight points. Here in the United States, it looks like uh, stocks might... End up in the week in the green. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average up 142 points. The NASDAQ is up 29. And the S&P is up 5. Bob Rogan is in here. Give us a little more. Well, major indexes are moving higher in trading on Wall Street as gains for technology and industrial stocks are outweighing more losses in healthcare. The gains come a day after the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed above 27,000 for the first time. Chip makers, including Intel, rose. DuPont, Emerson Electric, and Illinois Tool Works rose 2% or more. In other action, President Donald Trump says Labor Secretary Alexander Acosta is stepping down following criticism of his handling of a plea deal with a wealthy financier, Jeffrey Epstein, who is accused of sexually abusing dozens of underage girls. The president announcing the news today with Acosta by his side as uh, Trump left the White House 
for a trip to the Midwest. Acosta was the U.S. attorney in Miami when he oversaw a 2008 non-prosecution agreement with Epstein. Epstein avoided federal charges and served 13 months in jail. U.S. producer prices rising modestly in June, another sign that inflationary pressures remain subdued. The Labor Department says its producer price index, which measures inflation before it reaches consumers, rose one-tenth percent last month, the same as May's increase. A person briefed on the matter says Volkswagen will invest $2.6 billion in a Pittsburgh-based autonomous vehicle company that's mostly owned by Ford. The investment is part of a broader partnership on electric and self-driving vehicles that Ford and the German automaker will announce this morning, or did announce this morning, we should say, in New York. Two automakers reportedly will become equal partners of Argo AI, which is developing autonomous vehicle systems. Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on today. You know, Bob, one of the great mysteries that will be interesting as we look back, look back in history from 50 years ago or something, why those electric cars didn't get developed in the 80s. And there's a lot of talk that they, they, they kind of got hidden away. Well, the price, I suppose, mm-hmm. uh, the price of everything, uh, it's become, it's come to the point where they're about equal. It, maybe it costs just as much to build a, a regular um, petroleum-fueled yeah. uh, car as it does an electric car, plus the technology has take, taken leaps and bounds with those sure. with those high-powered batteries that they have that I don't even understand. They seem dangerous to me, but, uh, uh, you know, probably in the next 10 years, uh, gosh, they, they we'll probably see them everywhere. Well, I think so, and there's a lot more places now that you can recharge your electric car, too, so that's part of that technology, too. All right. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Fridays in the field. This week we're in the southern panhandle visiting with Tyson Nargis, a fifth-generation farmer in Sydney. Nargis is predominantly a wheat farmer, but like many farmers in the panhandle, he grows other crops for rotational and cast purposes, such as proso millet. So we got most of our proso millet in uh, the first week of June, and if anyone has much knowledge of proso millet, it's very tough to get up and survive the first couple of weeks out of the ground. Uh, a young proso millet leaf uh, does not like rain. It usually will get covered with some dirt and it just doesn't fight very very hard to stay alive. Uh, but most of our proso millet is out of the ground, looks good. Uh, we've got pretty good stands just about everywhere. Uh, the one thing again with moisture though, uh, pre-emerge uh, herbicide programs aren't working real well and uh, we're gonna have to go back over a lot of acres to spray most of the broadleafs that have come up. So. Millet looks a lot like corn when it is very young with broadleafs before it pushes into maturity. Millet also doesn't get very tall like corn, only getting about a foot or two feet tall. It's a crop that uh, will mature in about 60 days, uh, so we're uh, counting the days down, and typically we harvest the millet uh, just a few weeks or during wheat seeding in September. So the proso millet's doing well. Uh, there looks like there's a fair amount of acres again here in Cheyenne County, and uh, it's a crop that uh, we don't have much for inputs to put into, and it doesn't require a whole lot of moisture, which uh, in a year like this year is not going to be a limiting factor. So, Nargis's other crop is dryland corn, used in a rotation with wheat. He says with the moisture in the recent years and this year, dryland corn has not only been a good rotational crop, but a cash one as well. 
So I, I hear a lot of comments from folks that, boy, us, us folks out here in wheat country are, are raising dryland corn and doing pretty good at it. And actually, the economics of raising dryland corn the last few years, if marketed correctly, has been a more profitable enterprise for our farm than actually dryland wheat. So it's interesting to see here in the county how many acres uh, have gone to corn, and everywhere you drive, you're seeing more and more acres of corn. For that reason, Nargis says corn is becoming a staple in the rotations. And uh, as long as you can conserve moisture and get uh, the plants uh, up and healthy and, and fertilize them for an 80 bushel crop. And if July, August comes around, we get some more rain. Uh, last year we did try putting on an extra 25 to 30 pounds of, of N via Y drops and that worked very well and we had a re- really good response from it. So, Well, more acres are being planted to dryland corn. Nargis says most of it stays locally at the feed yards and their supply and demand equals itself out. Nargis's main crop is wheat, and it is progressing well, but it will still be a late harvest. So here on our farm, we're guessing that harvest is probably going to start around the 20th. Uh, that's typically about, well, whatever is average is about 10 days afterwards. So usually the later the harvest, the better we uh, we do. Uh, looking at a lot of the wheat, it's completely filled in most places, if not getting very close in some others. I think if you get further into the northern part of the county, uh, there's some grain that's still filling, but here in the southern part of Cheyenne County, we are definitely filling very nicely. Uh, the wheat crop is all but made, as long as we can stay away from any hailstorms or any bad weather. Nard just says while the wheat looks good, it will probably have low protein again this year. And so when you look at our area here, if uh, typically you have a lot of moisture, it tends to pull the nitrogen down. The plant doesn't quite use as much, and then we only fertilize for a certain amount of yield. And now that we've got uh, the moisture is not a limiting factor, now we're probably going to be short a little bit on nitrogen. And without that stress uh, for moisture and a lack of nitrogen, we're expecting low proteins uh, again in most of the wheat. That's Tyson Nargis, a farmer in Sydney, discussing some of what's growing in the southern panhandle. For Big Iron Realty's Fridays in the Field, I'm Chabella Guzman. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. It was a day of a rally, especially in corn and soybeans today. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. Uh, is this positive here for the grain market and pricing opportunities when we saw what we saw today? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, after what's happened the last two weeks, we're really right back to where we started. So if you just take out the whole uh, 91 million acres of corn from the grain stocks report on the, thir- on the 28th and then, uh, you know, add in the, the numbers we got yesterday, we're, we're right here. Just sub uh, three six or sorry four sixty uh, wheat's down a little bit from there, so I think that does have my I guess a red flag to certain degree as far as selling opportunities. I I do think producers who have physical yields, if you think your yields are, are good, maybe even better than average, I do think this is a place you do want to start to price a little bit. Um, but the weather market's upon us, so uh, if you want to go long anything, go long uh, pictures of uh, rolled up corn that you're going to see on the internet over the next couple of weeks. Because that's what's going to happen here. The trade's going to get up into a frenzy, especially if the the weather models hold. It looks like the area I'm in central Iowa right now, uh, you know, central south north Missouri, central Iowa, all the way really over into Indiana. It's going to be bone dry for the next ten days. So, uh, yes, we have a lot of subsoil moisture, but the farmers I talk to, they think that'll last them maybe four or five days before the corn will start to get affected. So, uh, we got a whole new set of problems to worry with now, do we? We're not record long, so I don't. I do think there's upside here, but. Uh, I'm a little skeptical to think that the market can get through, say, 470, 475 without wheat coming along. And, and that would be the one I'd watch, Casey Wheat. 
All right. We haven't seen a lot of um, harvesting yet of winter wheat in portions of the northern reaches like Nebraska. Uh, can you look ahead to further distant contracts and price there or not? Oh, absolutely. If you have storage, I think this is the market for it. I think we're almost 18 cents wide between the, the SEP contract and the beast contract for wheat. So it certainly priced in a lot of that pressure that, uh, you know, that the yields were seeing. But in yesterday's report, uh, you know, kind of buried in that was the, the hard red wheat stocks. And we're actually lower than we were a year ago, quite a bit, actually, maybe 10%. So, um, you know, this is the summer run. I, I, we've seen this fall apart now, uh, going back five years. Um, you know, if you're taking the beats off of, of what you should have done the last five years, you'd be selling these rallies. But you kind of wonder if this is a different type of year. Driving in from Chicago, I saw a lot of late corn. Uh, things do look a little better, but, uh, you know, nobody can really tell you what it's going to look like here in a couple of months. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. Uh, All right, we finished nine and three quarters to 11 and a quarter higher in corn. Soybeans settled 13 and a half to 14 and a quarter higher. Kansas City wheat was four and three quarters to five and three quarters higher. Dewey Nelson reporting. And that'll do it for our midday program here on KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts on KRVN, Twitter, our app, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.